Fundraising Radio, and today's guest speaker we have Hugo Tilmuth, founder and CEO at ChargedUp. And in this episode, we're going to talk about how ChargedUp raised, I think, over $3 million and about the importance of pitching 24-7 and how do pitch events work and if they even work at all. So Hugo, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on ChargedUp. Sure, great stuff. It's great to be here today. So thank you so much for inviting me onto the show. Um, so uh, just just to correct, it's actually three three and a half million pounds, which I think at today's rates are four point three million dollars. I was uh, not so close. Slightly Sorry. higher. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, all the, those extra millions and all those extra hours that we put in, uh, you know, we can't <laughs> let them go off the record. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so my background is, um, you know, I started charged up uh, just just over three years ago now. Uh, it came, you know, straight out of a, actually a university project. Um, so, you know, my, my background is in engineering. I, I studied renewable energy engineering and I had a real interest in clean tech, battery technology, and especially in the sharing economy, which, you know, I'm sure you've seen the, the massive growth over the past three years. Um, and, you know, ever since that uh, early, early start into the and a renewable industry, I've been trying to figure out how I can make my dent on the industry. Um, and so I, you know, three years ago, I was um, looking at different problems that were occurring, you know, looking at the sharing economy and how it could be used for different, uh, you know, ways of solving day-to-day -day problems. And I came across this uh, really interesting uh, problem that is our phones just don't last long enough. Um, and from that, uh, three years later, uh, you know, we're we're in business and we're we're expanding across Europe. So it's been a pretty interesting ride. So can you tell us the the structure of ChargedUp? What 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 exactly do you do there? Sure. Um, so ChargedUp is uh, we call it in London the Boris bike of phone charging. But for the international crowd, uh, you know, you could call us the bird of phone charging. Uh, so we have um, power banks that you can rent in over 2,500 uh, bars, restaurants, cafes across the UK, Germany, and the Netherlands. Um, and you just rent them for one pound an hour. They include all the cables that you need. Uh, you can pick them up from one location and drop them to another. Um, and it's super simple to use, just using a, an app. Um, so you can find the nearest location to you, uh, scan the battery, and then you're on your way. So very similar to how you would use a bird scooter mm -hmm. or a line bike. Um, it's it's that same concept that we've taken, but just using power banks instead, which obviously enable all of the other apps that we use on a day-to-day -day basis. Absolutely, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, so let's talk about your fundraising a little bit. For how long were you bootstrapping it, charged up? Sure, so it was about a year uh, that we were bootstrapping before we raised our first kind of proper bit of finance. Um, so, you know, no salaries for the founders. It was mm -hmm. tough times. Um, we were we were traveling across London trying to find the cheapest routes uh, to take the trains <laughs> and buses and cycling everywhere and all of that okay. fun stuff just to kind of you know get the product into the market and you know as being a, a young and inexperienced founder um, you know you really have to kind of prove yourself out uh, to a much higher degree than you know I guess people who've got a really good track record uh, so so I guess we had to figure out ways of hacking our way to success without lots of funding. Um, mm -hmm. And that was kind of what the first year was all about. So let's talk about the moment when you decided that, okay, right now I think we're ready for fundraising. When, when was this moment? Did you acquire like, I don't know, a thousand users or 
what what was the breaking point when you decided to raise money? Sure. So I guess the the first year was really about um, you know actually trying to set up the network, um, figure out how the hardware would work, how we would develop the app, um, and we were really you know just applying for competitions, grant funding,、uh, in order to get that first bit of cash together.、Um, once we had a product,、uh, we were able to、uh, fly out to China and actually source、uh, a factory out there in order to produce our our, our hardware. Um, it was once we had the hardware working,、uh, and you know we were able to demonstrate a prototype that we started approaching angel investors and institutional investors.、Um, so I guess that was the turning point for us was when we actually had a product、uh, that we were able to demonstrate. So you didn't have any traction before you started fundraising. Ah,、uh, so we we provisionally signed up. I believe it was a hundred and fifty locations when we'd gone into that fundraising round. Um, and we'd also conducted some market trials with what I'd like to call the kind of scrappiest MVP ever.、Uh, it was basically an iZettle card machine.、Um, you know, some some of us、uh, founders and some of our friends, literally in、uh, cafes and bars, also in festivals, renting out power banks using the iZettle <laughs> card machine. It was super super scrappy. Um, probably cost、awesome. like you know a couple hundred quid in total.、Um, and but you know what what was amazing is that. By doing that, we were able to prove that there was a demand for the product、mm-hmm. and show that demand to the investors.、Um, so, you know, obviously, you can be really elaborate with your MVP, and some problems require a lot of building and development、uh, in order to prove out. But you know, we were able to do it with very, very little money—just a few power banks that we got, you know, from a random factory in China,、um, and then an iZettle card machine. So, how did you raise that first check? Uh, so we actually、um, were part of a program called Virgin Startup.、Um, it's it's kind of a,、um, I guess like a mentoring and、um, uh, kind of like an accelerator, but much more condensed.、Um, and we were we were going through all of the processes of that,、uh, attending you know all of the the coaching and all of that, the, the the parts of that course. And we were introduced to some fantastic investors called Daedalus Capital Partners. Uh, who represent the syndicate of angels in London,、um, and it was you know upon、uh, pitching to、uh, Stephen and Nick at Daedalus、um, that they they basically said to us, "This is a fantastic idea, guys.、Uh, you know, come back to us with with a full kind of business plan,、uh, and we'd be really keen to support you for the two hundred k that you're looking to raise at this point."、Mm-hmm. Um, so we did that. I I was actually. Um, literally on the other side of the world,、uh, while while we were doing our pitching, I was in New Zealand <laughs> at the time. I remember so clearly、uh, walking around, pacing on the rocks on, I believe it's Wahiki Island in New Zealand,、uh, literally a desert island,、um, pacing up and down, pitching to these guys on the other side of the world,、uh, and you know we were we were trying to secure the the deal terms while I was quite literally you know. Uh, on the other side of the planet, so that was pretty fun. <laughs> Why were you in New Zealand?、Uh, I decided to take a, a, a week or two off from all of the craziness、uh, and、nice. have a little holiday. Yeah,、nice. it was nice. But you were still pitching. That's that's the attitude of the real entrepreneur. So <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about what you've mentioned during our pre-interview call. You said that you think that you should invest all your shares. With the founders, especially over seven years, rather than the standard four years. Why is that?
And by the way, so, Bastin, can you, uh, some of our listeners are pre-early stage entrepreneurs, so they might have never heard of uh, Fasting Equities. Can you give us a sure. short description? Sure. Yeah. So whenever you um, uh, get equity or options in a company, they basically mean the same thing, but uh, for, you know, for all intents and purposes, but for, uh, you know, to protect the company, you always want to have what's called a vesting schedule. Uh, so this this can usually, you know, in the in the UK, I think it's most common to have a four year vesting schedule. Mm -hmm. And this means that say, uh, you know, I want to give you 10% of a company, it would actually take you four years to get all of that company. Um, so you'd be vesting, you know, a, a quarter of it every year. Um, and perhaps you'd be you'd be vesting it actually on a monthly basis. But uh, it prevents you, you know, getting all of that equity and then you know, 30 days later, running off and deciding you want to do something different, but taking 10% of the company with you. So it, it's kind of a, you know, it's it's payment uh, in in the form of uh, shares in the company. Um, but in the UK, we obviously uh, do it through options because it's more tax efficient for the employer, <laughs> or for the employee. So now that you give us uh, the the basically official description of what investing is, investment schedule is. Can you say why do you think seven years is more fit than four years? Yeah, so I think for employees, uh, four years is a, is a sensible vesting schedule. Mm -hmm. uh, we, do, we do four years with a one-year cliff. Uh, a cliff basically just means when the vesting starts. Um, so, you know, it, with, with a one-year cliff, uh, you would have to be in the company for one year before any of the equity comes to you. But on you know the one year anniversary of your time with the company, um, you know the first twenty five percent would vest all in one day. Mm -hmm. um, so so that's that's how we do it for all of our employees. But I think for founders, because of the I guess there's a bit of a mismatch in terms of how quick founders and maybe early stage entrepreneurs think things will develop, and they think you know four years, three years, that's going to be more than enough time for us to kind of develop this business. And get it to market, and you know, maybe even sell it in four years' time. I think there's that's you know most commonly is not the case. Um, you know, most most businesses take much longer uh, to you know even get to a point where you could consider selling it or listing it or whatever your exit strategy is. And what I think is when you when you do um, equity um, grants for the for the founders, you often give quite large chunks of the company away. Mm -hmm. um, you know, especially if you're you have like another co-founder, you might go 50-50 with that co-founder. Um, and if that co-founder can can walk away after three years, um, you know, maybe the company's still in its infancy. So I think for for the founders, um, uh, something like seven years is more sensible, maybe six. Um, but then for the employees, it's okay to do you know, four years because, you know, you tend to not be giving away quite such big chunks of the company. Right. Yeah, I think that's a sensible point. And you know what I'm curious right now about? It's what software are you using to do the vesting period? Uh, I mean, to do the vesting part. So uh, each month you have to transfer, you know, point, uh, point, ten uh, percent of the equities. Uh, it's just a number over my head. And you have to do, you don't do it manually, right? Is there some, some software that you're using personally? Yeah, so there's a great platform in the UK called Seed Legals. Um, mm -hmm. they, they they basically do all sorts of different functions that a startup would require. I highly recommend it for any early stage founder, and I have recommended it to a number of people that have come looking for advice on how to kind of get their legal 
legal bits and pieces done when they're starting the business. Um, so all of the different contracts that you need, employment agreements, uh, vesting schedules, NDAs, all of those can be done through templates on Seed Legals. Um, you know, I have no affiliation to them, but I'm a big fan of what they do. Um, and we actually ran, uh, I, I believe it was the first two uh, fundraisers through the Seed Legals platform as well. So yeah, definitely big awesome. fans of uh, those guys over at Charged Up. That's really cool. I'll definitely include the link into this episode. I'm not sure if there is a, I'm pretty sure there is another version of Seed Legals, but the US version. So uh, I'll, I'll, I might look into that business if, if there isn't one. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great model. No, I'm pretty sure US is pretty famous for its legal stuff. So I'm, I bet there is something in, in, in those threes. So uh, yeah. you also mentioned that you raised two first rounds through Seed Legal. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. So, uh, of course, when you're going out for investment, um, you know, you need to have an awful lot of documentation. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it usually starts with a term sheet, which is sometimes presented by the investor. Um, there's there's an interesting way that you can do it um, where you actually present the term sheet and then, you know, you have the upper hand, which is what we did in our first round. Um, so basically, Seed Legals provides templates for all of these. Mm -hmm. uh, and puts it into you know human readable English, which is sometimes slightly different to what uh, lawyers can read. Oh yeah, uh, so it can very easily be walked through the process of you know what every single element of a term sheet means, and then also it helps you develop you know build up your articles and all of the different bits and pieces that you need to have done uh, when you're going into a you know setting up your data room uh, and all of the other documentation that you need for doing a fundraise. Awesome. Cool. Now that we've touched on to the legal stuff, the stuff that I like, you know, uh, let's talk a little bit more about fundraising. So you told me on our pre-interview call that uh, you met one of your investors in the bar. Can you tell us the story again? Sure. Yeah. So uh, one of the other founders of Charged Up, um, he was actually at a bar in Mayfair. It's one of the quite swanky areas of, of London. Um, and he was he, he was actually on a date there, I believe. Uh, and he, he he was sat waiting for the date to arrive, um, and he had his charged up battery out. Um, and you know, if you if you've ever seen a charged up battery, it's very difficult to miss. They're bright, kind of iridescent green. Um, and the, the a chap came up to him and said, you know, what what is that? Um, you know, what's that thing that you've got there? Um, and you know, he he proceeded to give the full pitch about what Charged Up's all about and all of the you know details of how we're expanding, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the guy says, you know, this is a fantastic idea. I absolutely love what you guys are doing. Um, he then went on to introduce that he was actually um, the UK CEO of Jägermeister. So the nice. the uh, the shot brand um, and that was obviously you know quite quite exciting for um, for Hakeem when he when he realised this, <laughs> um, but it, it it turned out later that um, that that gentleman actually introduced us to the family office of Jägermeister and then they went on to lead our last round of investment. Um, so it was kind of about a year in the making from that initial uh, interaction. Um, to uh, myself and, and Charlie, one of the other founders, going out to Prague to meet the entire management team and having Jaeger shots with that original <laughs> guy uh, that we'd met in the bar, you know, years years before. That's so it's really quite a nice cool. story of, of all of that. And now Jaegermeiser is helping us 
expand into Germany and other countries around the world as well. So it's a really, really cool story of how, uh, you know, I guess you can, as long as you're always on, on the ball and ready to pitch, uh, <laughs> you never know where you're going to meet your next investor. So how much do you raise from Jägermeister? Uh, so so we've um, we've raised half a million pounds from them so far, um, and we're we're looking to do another round with them shortly. Actually, probably I should name this episode something like "Find Your Lead Investor in a Bar." Yeah, <laughs> I think that'll be pretty fun. <laughs> that's awesome. But there are other places where you actually should look for investors because I mean you're not going to a bar specifically to find investors, right? There are some nice coincidences like this, which are awesome. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the best parts of being an entrepreneur because you can just find people like that. But there are special places like like beach competitions, uh, beach events, networking events. What can you say about those? Did you did they actually help you? Yeah, for sure. Um, we've been part of, you know, I mentioned the very early stage uh, accelerator that we did with Virgin Crowdboost that introduced us to our very first investors. Um, and then uh, we've also been part of Founders Factory, which is uh, Brent Hoberman's um, accelerator. Uh, it's, a you know, one of the top accelerators in the UK. Um, and, you know, I think it, they've actually just launched in New York as well. So keep an eye oh. out for them. Um, and that, you know, that event um, that we did for for Crowdboost led to our first round, and then we also managed to uh, get introduced some, to some investors through um, uh, Founders Factory as well uh, through some of their events. So I, I do think you can get introduced to investors through these kind of pitch events, um, but realistically, the best way to do it is to, uh, you know, each time you meet an investor. Ask them who else they think you should be speaking to. You know, the investors tend to be incredibly well connected. Um, you know, they often all meet up with each other very regularly. Mm -hmm. And if you can find an investor who likes what you're doing, even if they can't invest at that stage, you know, especially if they can't invest at that stage, they're probably going to be able to help connect you to people that can. Um, so maybe they might be a you know Series A plus investor. Um, but if they like what you're doing, they're going to want to see that company get through from, you know, the super pre-seed early stage to when they could actually put some money in. Um, and, you know, then they're going to want to support you and, and connect you to investors that can actually play in that space. Um, so I think it's always really important to ask investors for favors and ask for introductions because getting in an, uh, an introduction from a well-respected uh, investor or a peer um, you know, is so much better than just going cold and asking for, a, you know, a direct, um, you know, introduction through LinkedIn or, or whoever, mm -hmm. however else you, you kind of get in touch with them. Um, so that would be my suggestion. Absolutely. So um, I just want to clarify, at which stage should you ask for this introduction? Because I've seen some founders who are just pushing way too hard because they just met, you know, the, the guy doesn't know them yet. And immediately after he or she says, no, I will not invest, it's just not my stage. Immediately they go into asking for introduction to someone else. Do you think that actually works or should they wait for I know, a couple of weeks of communication? Sure. Um, I think it really depends on, you know, how how you get on with the person. Um, like it, 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 it really it really depends on how generous that uh, investor is as well. And if they if they like you and it, it's really just about relationships, like I can't mm -hmm. give a kind of hard and fast rule. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't like to just kind of 
straight out the gate, uh, you know, maybe just off the back of a, a 10 minute call, be, be kind of nagging them for introductions. But, you know, most people are pretty generous, like, uh, especially in the investment community, I found people like to be able to help people because, you know, realistically, you could see it as just being, you know, helpful, but, you know, they know that that, that um, goodness that they're putting out is going to come back to them. Um, at some point. So whether they get to invest in us or we we then refer them to a really good company, um, they know it's going to come back at some point. So yep. um, yeah, I've, I've found investors to be quite generous. That's true. That's a good point. But I've seen harsh investors as well. So don't expect too much from them, people. <laughs> but maybe it's just me not being lucky. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about failures. Now that you've raised over $4 million and you're looking back at your first pitches, what do you think were your biggest mistakes that you've made? Sure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's there's a, a laundry list of mistakes that we've made, <laughs> but um, I think it's always good to uh, have a very good kind of clean teaser deck that you, you may want to call it a teaser or a one pager uh, to kind of capture the mind of the, of the, of the VC. Um, so that they can very quickly kind of skim through maybe a 10-page thing. Um, I think Sequoia has a, has, has a template online that is the one that we followed back in the day. Um, you know, it's kind of problem solution, traction team, the kind of, you know, the, mm -hmm. the real bones of what the business is. And I think it's always good to follow a template like that um, so that you don't miss out on any, any elements. One thing that I think a lot of people miss out on is financials. So they'll have a deck that says, you know, we're the greatest company ever. We've built the best team. Um, everyone's ex-Google and Uber and whatever, but they, they don't actually include the, the financials of how they're going to make the investor rich. Uh -huh. um, ultimately, that's the reason that people are investing is to get a return on their, on their money. So if you don't include that, you're kind of really missing out on a trick. Um, so yeah, those are a couple of things that we've done. Um, I, th I think also, um, you know, as as the business develops, you know, you, you want to make sure that you're kind of pitching for the stage that you're at and not just kind of getting too much into the into the clouds of, you know, this is what it could become um, <laughs> because, you know, people want to see things that are true. Um, you know, you can you can have the the vision slide of what the company is going to become in five or 10 years time. Um, but it also has to be grounded in truth as well. Um, and if you have too much like fluff, it's not going to fly. Right. So um, here, let's talk a bit about how did you connect to investors? So I imagine that after the university, you didn't really have a network, right? So one of the ways That's you were true. reaching out to investors were pitch competitions, that incubator that you mentioned. What, what else did you use? Did you use LinkedIn? Did you use... Uh, Angel list. Where are the tools? Yeah, sure. Uh, so in the very early days, we actually uh, did use some, I guess, some kind of growth hacky techniques of going through LinkedIn and adding investors and reaching out to people. Um, that that I think can work when you have no network, but it, it really is, you know, it's it it's like trying to uh, find a needle in a haystack. You know, mm -hmm. someone that's actually going to give you money off the back of a LinkedIn. Uh, reach out, but you know, if you if you have no other options, then that that obviously worked for us. So um, you know, it could work for other people as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's really just about you know constantly trying to expand your network. You know, go to these uh, networking events, meet meet new people, uh, ask them who they know, ask them you know, do they do they know anyone that would give you advice on this? And then when you speak to that person, they might know someone else, and then you're 
your network just exponentially grows from there. Um, and you know the the network that I came to, uh, you know London with um, three years ago, it, it's literally like it's it's absolutely minute compared to the network that you know myself and the team have now grown um, over just the past three years. So it, it's really just about the I guess the kind of determination to keep pushing forward and you know keep asking for more introductions and yeah that that's what I recommend. True, true. That's a good point. Yeah, I totally love it. So here I'm coming to the last question that I tried to ask every speaker of mine. What do you think should be the first three steps the founder should take to get to the first check from the investor? Sure. So I think the first thing uh, you've got to do is is validate your idea. So make sure that you're actually onto something um, and that you like you know you really believe in it and you've got some data that backs up that belief. Um, so you know, make a really cheap MVP, like 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 we did. You know, you don't have to always go for something that's going to cost tens of thousands of pounds or dollars. Um, you know, you can do something on the cheap and and figure out. You know, I would always try and figure out a way of of validating that business model as quick as possible through Google Forms or however you want. You know, whatever is suitable for your business, that that would be the way I'd kind of go about it first. Um, mm -hmm. Then I would kind of get the house in order. Um, so that you're you're actually ready uh, when you know as soon as an investor does show an interest uh, to be able to produce uh, a you know a proper um, Excel model and a proper uh, you know pitch deck um, in order to make sure that they are uh, you know you, you look legitimate to them uh, when you mm -hmm. go in front of the investor um, and you know these things do take time you know it takes a while to to figure out all of the levers in your business. Especially when the business is in in, in its infancy, uh, to build a, a proper you know P and L cash flow and all of the other parts of the financial model that might be applicable to you know whichever um, business type um, that you're building the business in, um, and then finally I would try I would actually invest uh, in you know making the deck kind of look like it's at a later stage than your company actually is. You know, we were very lucky in that in the founding team we had a absolutely fantastic graphic designer um, who was able to make the deck look super polished. But you know, we've got so many resources available to us now through things like Fiverr and Upwork um, mm -hmm. that you, there's absolutely no excuse to have a shoddily designed deck. Um, you know, you want that deck to really be, you know, like your product. You know, you want it to be a reflection of um, you know you as a business, the founding team. Um, and having something that's kind of loosely put together on some, you know, PowerPoint um, template, uh, it's just, it, you know, really just will make the company look a bit less polished. Um, so I think that's a really key thing to do in the early stages. That's a good point. I personally always hire someone to do the pitch deck for me because I'm a horrible design. Literally the worst <laughs> designer in the world, I think. I've never, I tried developing stuff so many times i tried websites uh page decks landing pages nothing worked and i used all sorts of tools i think i'm just useless in these terms uh luckily well, i'm not at the site not everyone can do everything <laughs> yeah yeah um i'll just pretend that i'm not horrible at everything and on this positive <laughs> note i'll just say thank you hugo i know you're super busy you have companies to grow but you still took time to share your experience with other founders really appreciate it and I think tons of great information were mentioned in this. And for sure, I'll include the links to Charged Up and to Legal Seed, Seed Legal. 
something like Legos, that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so that you can take a look at it and probably try to find something similar in the United States. Or maybe I'll take my own time to find something similar in the US. It depends. <laughs> All right. So we'll wrap it up here. Thanks again, Hugo, and have a great day. Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. All right. Awesome. I have another.